What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Last Take Sports Podcast. And today we have another very special guest, national scout for CoverOne.net and host of Cover One, the NFL Draft Podcast, Russell Brown. And how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you guys, fellas? Doing great. Thank you. So why don't we just get right into it? So why don't you tell everyone like your backstory and how did you get or how did you want to get into scouting and podcasting? Yeah, so um, it started for me probably about 10 years ago. Um, I, I realized I was never going to play college sports. I was never big enough. Um, I figured that out when I went to a Michigan camp and I stood next to Jake Long, who was like 6'6", 320 pounds. And I realized, okay, I still want to be involved with sports, but I can't play it. So um, I always wanted to do radio broadcasting. I wanted to be on the radio and um it took me a little bit longer just simply because, you know, time is a thing and life happens and those types of things. But in 2010, I started working for a local blog called the majors.net. Um, it was a buddy of mine and, uh, we did a lot of the local Detroit sports teams and stuff like that. And I did a lot of NFL draft stuff. And, um, for about three or four years, I was really big into it. Then I took a little bit of a break and in 2016, like the fall of 2016. So the 2017 NFL draft cycle, I, uh, started working for fan sided and I was there for that draft and I really liked it. And I was fully invested in growing my social media. I was, you know, just an average guy. I still am an average guy. I'm nothing really, but, uh, yeah, I had like a, I had like eighty followers, and by the time the twenty seventeen draft rolled around, I got five hundred, and now I've worked all the way up to you know well over five thousand, and being able to do the things that I set out to do. Like I said to you guys, I wanted to be on the radio, and I basically have been able to do that on a weekly basis, multiple times a week, uh, for the last two years. So it's been it's been a long. Uh, a long kind of road and, and it's not been necessarily smooth, but it's just about continuously working hard, not trying to be somebody you're not. And, um, it's always about learning. So like right now it's about this off season as we prepare for the upcoming season, it's about learning the game more because, you know, you can do mock traps all day long, but you can't really do them if you don't really understand the fit for a player. So, that's really how the scouting got involved, doing the writing and doing the radios and the podcasts and all that stuff. So you mentioned uh, how you got into radio, right? So what, did you ever really get nervous, like, going on air for the first time? No, I was actually on a contest. So the first time I ever did it, it was called Midday 180. It's a radio station in Nashville. And they were doing a radio station um, contest. They were looking for a draft analyst to work with Greg Gossel, who's uh, like 30 years in the business. He does tons of scouting and basically we were going to work under his wing. And, um, I, I knew I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I just, I was never nervous because I had spent so much of my life through like, a, like I said, for a 10 to, to 12 year span of doing podcasts and just always preparing. Like when I'm, it sounds crazy, but when I'm driving in the car, I'm reviewing players' notes like in my head and memorizing them and practicing my cadence of how to talk and how to prepare myself to sound um, like I should be on the radio. And my very first time on that midday 180 spot, I was the only person in that first round of like 20, 24 people, whatever it was. I was the only person that got an A+. And then the very next round, I got another A+. And I was in the finals. 
And I ended up not winning. I lost to a guy that I actually know I'm, I'm good friends with. He's a colleague of mine. He's fantastic. Um, and he ended up winning the whole thing. But that opened up doors to so many different things. So it's not anything to really overthink. I mean, we're just, we're just people talking sports. So if I can have a conversation with my friends sitting down in a, in a basement or outside or, or wherever, why can't I have that conversation over the phone? So that's how I always put it in my mind. And it's, hey, I have my opinions. I have my reasons for my opinions. And I trust what my eyes see from the games that I watch. So I, I'm going to go on and I'm going to own these, you know, these questions. And, and I'm going to, you know, be the best uh, scout and, and draft personality that I can possibly be. So you mentioned scouting and how you are a scout. Can you explain the process of scouting a player? It's a it's a long process. You have to start with the background of a player. That's a very good question, Elliot. I and mean, this is a question that you know it, it might take me a, a little bit of time to dissect on. But you know, there's a lot that goes into it. With with a player, you have to start from the beginning with them. You have to go to how they got into that college and why they got into that college and what were some of the other options because more often than not, you find a lot of players that end up going uh, to like a junior college. Brandon Ayuk this past year, he was a uh, first-round pick, 25th overall to the San Francisco 49ers. He was actually a JUCO before he went to Arizona State. So you have to find out the background to that so that way you know is there any character concerns, any personality issues? Is the guy intelligent, maybe not as intelligent because there were some brain issues or, or whatever. So um, there's that. And then when you go into the film aspect, that's when it gets even deeper because you have to break down, you know, the, the, depending on the position, obviously, if it's a receiver, what routes are they running? Why are they running those routes? And what kind of concepts, what kind of passing concepts are you seeing? If you're watching a quarterback, What's he doing in the pre-snap situation? Is he making a lot of adjustments? Is he just going up there and basically running the play? Um, so you have to do that and, and all of those things. And it, it just really depends on the position, obviously. But then beyond just that, you just have to see what types of offenses and defenses that these players are involved in. And then you have to watch the NFL games to see how they would translate and how they would transition and fit into those teams. So that's really what this offseason is about right now. When the draft is over, you spend about two to three months watching as much NFL football as you possibly can to see what schemes they're running, what they're doing differently, and then you kind of tie it all together of the draft picks that they just made. So that's really how the, the scouting stuff got involved. And um, I'm, I'm a former, you know, I, I still coach youth football, but I used to coach at the high school level. So I gained a lot of knowledge through coaching clinics, so I really understand, you know, those X's and O's that are being broken down, and I, I love doing those because I've always have done those for such a long time since I was a little kid. So um, it's something that just I'm very passionate about. Yeah, analyzing sports, it's just so interesting to see how much into detail you can go about different players. But what mm -hmm. level do you start scouting players at? What do, you, what do you mean by like what level? Like I was I like scouting them when they were in high school, or what do you mean? High school, college. Yeah, it was just it was just college. It was primarily for the for the draft. So a lot of it's all for draft stuff. And uh, 
like I reiterated on the previous question, it's all that detail. It's how they transition from college uh, to the pros. But, you, you know, you can go and watch some of their high school games and things like that. But I don't go that far into it unless it's a super intriguing player that maybe is really captivating. Um, but it's hard to really grasp them at the high school level. For example, Kenny Willekes, who was a seventh round pick, if you guys are Michigan State fans, he played there and, you know, he had 51 career tackles for loss. He's the all-time leader at Michigan State. And this is a formal walk-on. But when I spoke to him uh, in the pre-dress process, I had him on my podcast and we've, we've texted quite a bit back and forth and everything. And when we were talking, he had told me, you know, when I was in high school, I was, you know, five foot seven, 140 pounds as a linebacker. And then when I was, by the time I was a junior, I was up to about, you know, six foot two, 220 pounds, but he was never really projected to play defensive end. He was never projected to go play really anywhere. He was going to schools like Grand Valley. Those were the offers. And then he finally was, he worked his way on to Michigan State. So um, those are always interesting things. So, and that's why I don't really pay attention too much to, you know, their film in high school, but I do like to find out their backstory with stuff like that. Yeah. And, you mentioned how the like the background of the player to see if like uh, personnel wise, like if everything's there, like if there's some loopholes off the field where they might have mm-hmm. some issues. Do you think NFL teams take that like seriously into factor when drafting a player? They absolutely do. Now, for me personally, on my every year, I have a, a big board and uh, like a, a draft guide that comes out, and I don't put too much into it unless it's something that's very serious and very evident but um, or very obvious. But with, with the NFL team, they absolutely put a ton of stock into that information and it can really change and really make or break a player's career. Um, you'll see a lot of times, like a few years back, where Ernie Tunzel was projected to be the top offensive tackle off the board. Um, around the, I want to say the 2015 NFL draft, and he ended up not being the first offensive to that, but because minutes before the, I mean, an hour before the draft, there was a, a picture of, of him doing, you know, something inappropriate. And those are things that when you, when you see those things come about, teams completely wrote him off and 12 teams passed on him. And, and those are the types of things where if you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing off the field, there's a pretty good chance somebody's going to find out about it one way or another. There's a ton of area scouts and a ton of, there's, there's tons of people in high places, tons of people in low places. More gets out fast. And with today's social media presence, it's very important to for these players to, to make sure that they're really uh, checking themselves and making sure that they're doing the right things because one way or another, a team is going to find out about it they will write them off completely off their board. Um, and I do know, I won't say the specific team or the player, but I do know a specific team did have a specific player on their board, and then an incident had come up um, between the senior bowl and between the, the combine, and they completely took them off the board. Wow, that's crazy because you think these players have so much talent and mm-hmm. they could be first-round potential, and then one slip-up off the field that gets out to the media or to teams, it could totally ruin their draft, uh, where they could get drafted. So that's a huge thing. So one slip-up could totally screw up someone's career and where they get drafted. So you really have to be careful there as a player. So yeah, you really do. I mean, it, 
My bad, you can go. Oh, yeah, and it's just it's one of those things. And it's not just, you know, off the field, like, incident theaters. I mean, it can be injury concerns as well. Marcus Bailey from Purdue, another player that I spoke with through the draft process and I'm a big fan of, and if you watch his tape, you see a second or third-round overall player with his grade, but he had so many injuries that he fell all the way to the seventh round, ended up being the first pick of the seventh round, but... um Many teams passed him by because of just injury concerns. So there's so many different things that players have to do um, and, and in the draft process to make sure that they're they're fitting really to the criteria of, of a team and, and how they value players. So obviously, we know we do we are dealing with the coronavirus right now. So how do you think that COVID nineteen affected the draft evaluation of prospects, and what specific players do you think benefited or were hurt from that? It absolutely affected this draft process. It affected guys. I mentioned Kenny Wilkins. He was a seventh-round pick. He was not a seventh-round talent. He was much, much better. He was a third or fourth-round talent. And he ended up going in the seventh round because when I had spoke with him, it was right when everything was breaking out. He was getting ready to actually go out, put kind of a, a highlight tape together. And he was at the combine, and teams got to, to see him. But there was some concerns from a leg injury from the year before, and it was those types of things that people needed to clear up, and they wanted to see what he could do in their facility, and, and that was what hurt him and ultimately other players. There was you know, so many players that couldn't go out and, and get those private workouts and get into a team's facility that they were not able to, to get those workouts, and so it definitely hurt them. And um, I think you know a couple of players, it certainly helped, I would say, you know, probably a, a specialist like a, like a Kyler Bass out of Georgia Southern. He was a, a sixth-round pick. He's, a, you know, a good kicker, don't get me wrong. But and he was at the senior bowl. He had a, a good week from, from a kicker perspective. I didn't pay too close touch to everybody to kicker. But, a lot, you know, we don't see a ton of kickers getting drafted. He ended up getting drafted. And a team like the Buffalo Bills who selected him, um, you know, they, they took him for, for the fact that, they got a feel for him. They understood what he brought to the table. But there was a lot of talented players still on the board. Like like I mentioned, Kenny Willickis, uh, Evan Weaver out of Cal, a talented linebacker. Uh, you had Marcus Bailey. You, you had some other players as well, like a uh, Prince Tyler Anuga, who, who was from Auburn. He was projected to be a, a top 60, top 75 pick. And he went to 210 you know, overall in the sixth round. So he had some medical concerns. So you'll see those types of things, and without the, the medical rechecks that teams can do, that's what really hurt so many different players because of COVID-19. Yeah, so... Kenny Willekes, sorry, Andrew, but you mentioned Kenny Willekes, and we were talking about this a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago, and if he if he had to leave after his junior year, let's say the leg injury didn't happen, where do you think his draft stock could have went, could have been? Yeah, I still think he would have been a third or fourth round pick. Um, I, I think he was a player that struggles at the point of attack just simply because he doesn't have a ton of length. He's 6'3". He's not incredibly powerful compared to offensive tackles. So he's going to, to get worked a little bit in those areas. And, and he's got to improve that, that block recognition and, again, just that overall ability at that point of attack. But when he's matched up against tight ends, that's where he can make a difference. And I think that's where he fell into a great spot with the Minnesota Vikings. I don't think he's going to become Anthony Barr, but I think he could play in a similar role to Anthony Barr 
I think he could fill in nicely off the edge opposite of Daniel Hunter. Uh, as they move down to Everson Griffin, they need to make sure that they have somewhat of a rotation there off the edge. I think he'll fall into that role. And again, he'll, he'll have a similar role to a guy like Anthony Barr, where he'll play a little off-ball linebacker stuff. And he's not great there. He's not going to be great in space. But that was something that he, he didn't really change too much from his junior year to his senior year. But you will see, again, the work ethic, the motor. Nobody goes to the football harder than than, than Willikis. And he showed that at the Senior Bowl. He showed that through his time in East Lansing. So I think his draft stock probably would have been around the same. I, I, if I don't do pro comps, I, I would tell you guys that. Uh, if, if you do jump into this field, do not do pro comparisons. There, it, 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 let a player be a player. If you do get a feel for a player, like, you know, you watch a quarterback and say, hey, he kind of reminds me of Russell Wilson. Okay, I mean, I, I get it. You can say it, but I would not suggest constantly trying to tie pro cons to the players. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing, but with one case, you remind me, if I had to give him one, it was Max Crosby out of Eastern Michigan, and he was taken by the Raiders the previous year uh, in the fourth round. So I, I kind of figured they would have similar paths to the NFL, and it didn't end up necessarily working that way for Willikins just yet, but we'll see what happens. So we're pretty sure you uh, had the chance to attend the uh, NFL Combine, right? I was not there this year. Um, oh. it's one of those... It was one of those things. I had done the senior bowl. I did the senior bowl every year, and um, I've got a, a son that's in travel baseball, and it's one of those things that with his schedule that was getting ready to, to kind of pick up, I wasn't going to be able to make the combine, so it's unfortunate. But I, I know plenty that went. I can answer any of those questions as well. Yeah, so did you have the chance to attend uh, the combine in previous years at, at any point? No, I have not. I have not been at the combine. I, um, it's one of those things where two years ago, when I could have started going as a credentialed media member because I wasn't credentialed um, until about two years ago, three years ago, um, I didn't even know that we were the media was able to go. I thought it was just big time media, and then a bunch of team scouts and then team representatives. Uh, so I have not had the chance to go. Actually, it's something. It's, it's on the bucket list to do. That is for sure. Yeah, but you did uh, manage to get to the Senior Bowl you mentioned. So how was that there, uh, watching all those seniors play? It's a, it's a great experience. It's, it's something that uh, is I look forward to every single year. You get to go down there. You get to watch a bunch of football. You get to have a bunch of fun. And you get to talk with the players directly after practice. And that's, that's what makes this experience so great every year because I don't get to go to Northwestern or – or, or Clemson practices and watch those teams practice on a, on a daily basis. But during that week, I get to watch those players and I get to see their tendencies and see the work ethic, like I mentioned, and see what they do and how they respond to the principles of NFL coaching. And this year, it was really special because the Detroit Lions were there. So getting to meet Matt Patricia, getting to meet his staff, talking with them a little bit, it was really cool. And it was it's always one of those things that I just... I. I appreciate so much that I get to go do. Um, and being able to watch those players, I mean, it, it really, it, it's jaw-dropping at some of the things that they're able to do. So this year, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was um, a little bit different compared to my first year. My first year, Baker Mayfield was there. And I'll tell you guys, Baker was the first player I had ever seen that when he walked into the stadium, everything stopped. And, and down there, Lad People Stadium, stadium in, in Mobile, Alabama, it's very windy. And... When he walked in, I swear to you, the wind stopped. 
And it was like everything stopped. Time stopped. He has that X factor. Not everybody likes him, but I like him. He's got the X factor. And it's just a great, it's, it's just great to see how people respond to players and how the players respond to the people. Obviously, yeah. the Senior Bowl is kind of to grade players and see what their work ethic is. But what would you say the biggest difference is watching these players in person than up close on tape on a screen? But the biggest difference, I would say, is, is, again, just being able to see some of those tendencies that they have. If you're watching the tape, you'll see that he's off on the sideline, but you're not seeing what he's doing on the sideline. Like, after practice at the senior bowl this past year, Bradley and I, Kenny Willick, gets to keep talking about him. But uh, they were working out together, and I have it on my phone. I've actually posted it on Twitter. But they were the only two players working out after practice. If the game was over or practice was over, even if I was watching practice tape on my computer, at home, on the TV, whatever, I'm not seeing those reps, those in-between reps, other than what's being recorded on the field. I'm watching them in between those reps, and those guys are literally working on long arm techniques. They're working on how to become more active with their hands because those two guys, very similar frames. They don't have a ton of length. They don't, they're not the fastest guys in the world, so they understand they've got to have the best technique, the best work technique, and they show it time and time again. So those two guys fed off one another a ton. So I think that's one of the things that makes all the difference. Is it's great to see how a player respond to playing in the SEC, but it's also great to see, again, how he responds on the field against some of either maybe better talent that he didn't get to play against in the regular season, or maybe even some lesser talent. And it's also, it's great to see some of that lesser talent. You know, you've got guys like Jeremy Chin out of Southern Illinois, Kyle Duggar, and Laura Wright. These two guys were some of the top safeties in the draft. You know, Chin went in the third round, Duggar was the second safety off the board. And it was one of those things where you didn't know who those guys were going into the draft process until you got to the senior bowl. And you see these two guys that didn't play against the Alabamas of the world, but you got to see them there. So I think that's what makes all the difference. It allows you to see, again, a, a mix of everything from the top tier guys to, to the bottom tier guys, see how they all play and compete against each other. And one last thing to add to that is I thought about it. Troy Clyde from Notre Dame was a, Players coach, man, at the Senior Bowl this past year. He was talking to each and every single one of his guys, something that you're not going to see on tape. I'm not going to hear him communicate coverages and responsibilities and calling routes out on the field when I'm sitting at home. But being there, I'm able to see that. And he was, he was a lot of fun to watch. So Troy tried out another day and he went to Carolina, but he's a, he was a lot of fun to watch. The Senior Bowl is almost used as like a showcase to make sure those seniors get their spotlight. So have you seen that pay off for any players, especially like a specific player that maybe improved his draft stock by having a good performance during the Senior Bowl? Absolutely. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield, I think, is one of those guys for sure. It certainly helped him to go to the Senior Bowl. He wasn't really expected to go a few years back. And when it was such a deep class, like Sam Darnold, and you had Josh Allen, and you had some of the different guys, Josh Rosen. Remember, Darnold and Rosen, those two guys were projected to be the top two quarterbacks off the board, and Baker ended up being the first quarterback off the board because he went there, he had a great week, and he showed everybody up, and then he showed exactly what he can do behind the scenes from the X's and the O's to how he responds to the criticism and the media. 
because the media was there every day after after practice in his face, and he was crowded. So it's one of those things where he's probably going to be the third, fourth, fifth quarterback off the board, maybe 15th overall, ends up going first overall. So that's huge as far as just overall payment. But when you talk about just maybe some lesser some lesser names, um, I would say you know a player of this past year from App State, Darrington Evans. He, he was a player that, that really stood out. He had a, a great week there, and he, he ended up going in the third round. And late in the process, his draft buzz really started to, to get going, um, and he ends up going in the third round to um, Tennessee, and, and he's going to be a big compliment there. And they got rid of Deion Lewis. They had Derrick Henry. So he, he's going to be a good fit there. But another name, Devon Hamilton out of uh, Ohio State, he ends up going in the third round. A lot of people didn't know where his draft stock was. He didn't play a turn of the snaps percentage at Ohio State. He would play the first drive, then he'd be out for three or four drives. Then he'd come back, and then ultimately really didn't play in the second half of the ball games. It was just a weird coaching decision that they ended up doing there at Ohio State with, with their defensive line coach, Larry Johnson. But he ended up being the third round pick to Jacksonville, and he's going to be a great fit there uh, as he's a, a plug-and-play defensive tackle that can play at the zero shade, play at the two-eye that He'd really be that A-gap penetrator that teams love when they need to stop the run. So the his style frame, I think he had a great week. It's very personable, especially from what I experienced with my, my conversations with him. So if you see it all the time. You see draft stocks fluctuate where maybe they're full of strong grades or projections going into the week and then Afterwards, you're seeing guys being listed as, as top 75 picks in, in Hamilton and some of those other names that listed were certainly part of that. So I know you've had the pleasure of scouting players for a long time. So who is the most interesting player you're able to scout and talk to? Oh, man. That's a long list of players. Um, I got to think for that. Uh, I, I would probably have to say... The most interesting player that I've spoken to, when you say interesting, do you mean just like overall, like kind of a crazy character type thing? Yeah, just someone you really remember just specifically uh, that, uh, just talking to them and a character that you just remember very well. I would have been... I'm trying to think back to just like last year, the year before, and I, I would have to go with, uh, I don't know if I've actually had like really any crazy characters in regards to that. I guess I would have to go with just thinking back to this year, I would maybe say like a, a Daryl Taylor out of Tennessee. I don't think he was really a, a character. But he was a, uh, he, he just, he didn't have a, a week at the, at the senior bowl that everybody was projecting him to have. He had really good tape, um, but he, he really carried himself with a chip on his shoulder, and um, he attacked the questions that were being asked to him. Uh, I think in maybe kind of a particular manner that I don't, I don't necessarily know an, a draft prospect would do, but he, I mean, he still ended up going. Uh, relatively high in the draft, he was still a, a second-round pick. So um, I would have to go with him. I, I mean, I don't know if there's really one that, that comes off the top of my head. Is there any really memorable uh, talks you've had with players, you think? 
the, the on my draft podcast, talking with you know Kenny Willekes, talking with Joe Boxy, that's great because I'm a Michigan State fan. Uh, those guys were very personable. Marcus Bailey would be on the on the podcast itself was probably my best one. He is just so professional. He is a, he's just a great talker. Um, but just in person from the senior bowl, um, I, I mean, I, I guess, you know, Ryan Finley was, was an okay chap. I didn't get to talk with him very long. He had to, to take off. He ended up going to the Cincinnati Bengals. Jacoby Myers out of NC State, he was certainly one that I'll remember. So obviously as a draft scout, you do a lot of grading of players. So what would you say the best prospect you've ever graded or remember from your years as a scout? I would say Miles Garrett would be the, the, the top guy, and then it would be also Chase Young. Uh, I actually think I had Chase Young higher than Miles Garrett. I think it was by like a half a point. So those would be definitely the top two guys without question. And, you know, Chase Young this past year on my overall board, he earned a grade of 95. So. Um, that was, I believe, the highest I've ever given a player. Joe Burrow would be right up there as well. So um, I think Joe Burrow is going to be great. I, w- I would say well, those were the three guys that I had given the highest grade to. So you look at recruiting. I know you're not so much into recruiting, but you're more into scouting. But you look at recruiting grades and recruiting scores on sites like 247, how does that compare to your scores from drafts? Oh, yeah, it's it's way different. Um, you know, I respect what, what 24-7 does and what Bibles do and, and all those, those sites, but, you know, I don't, I don't know if grading players at the high school level to what they do in college, like I mentioned earlier, so many different players grow into their bodies uh, after high school rather than in high school. You do get obviously those rare specimens that are six foot six, three hundred pounds at the high school level. But you know, prime example, Ben Barch out of St. John, when he was when he was getting recruited, you know, he was being recruited as a tight end. You look at Adam Troutman who went to Dayton. He was in Alp Rapids up north here in the state of Michigan, and he ended up being a quarterback there. He's their, their all time leading passer as a quarterback. But he was not even graded on those websites, and he ended up being uh, a, a player that goes to, to Dayton, and he adds 40, 50 pounds to switch to tight end because they needed help at the, at the position. So it's always interesting to read that stuff, and I always kind of take it with a grain of salt because you have so many different players that, you know, they might be a one-star recruit, a two-star recruit, um, you know, a prime example, O.J. Scott, when he was coming out of college, he was a two-star recruit. Or, excuse me, Le'Veon Bell, when he was coming out of, uh, of high school out of Ohio, he was a two-star recruit. He ends up going to Michigan State, develops into a great back, goes to the pros, and has had a, a really good career overall. But, you know, I, so I don't really buy into those recruiting numbers too much. There's obviously the, the obvious ones. You know, you've got your Trevor Lawrence, your Justin Fields, those, those five-star recruits, no doubt about it, but you, you have to really take it for a grain of salt that sometimes there might be just a number attached to a player just for the sake of conversation. Um, and it could also be because of the school that he's going to that might be able to just kind of drive up the conversation uh, or the, the publicity of the potential school. 
So this year's NFL draft, it was kind of weird because it was online and it was the first sports event that happened in a while. And who do you think had the best draft this year? It's really a toss-up for me between the Dallas Cowboys and the Baltimore Ravens. I don't really do a ton of draft like grades because, like I was saying, I don't necessarily... There's obviously some picks where you're like, all right, that's a terrible pick. But to, to really grade an overall draft, it's, it's sometimes really tough to do because we don't really know exactly how that player is going to fit into that offense or into that defense right away, right after the draft. So you could give it with those grades off for how your board, how your overall board was and how the teams drafted off of that. But for, for me, I would just say out of the players that where I, I had been graded and ranked, and really where I felt like teams did their best was Baltimore. For them, for them to get Patrick Queen at 28th overall, I thought was absolutely incredible. Uh, I think he's a terrific fit for their defense. I mean, he was my 22nd overall player, so I think you know pretty good value, a couple spots below. J.K. Dobbins in the second round at pick 55, that's going to become a home run pick. I mean, this guy's going to work behind Mark Ingram, just like Alvin Kamara did in New Orleans. And in another year or two, J.K. Dobbins is going to be on top of our fantasy rosters all over. Um, they had Malik Harrison, who's going to be a, a three-down linebacker for them. Uh, Devin Duvernay is going to be a terrific slot receiver. He's incredibly productive out of the slot. Reminds me a lot of a, of a Golden Tate as far as overall frame. They play the game a little bit differently, but Duvernay's, and he, Duvernay's a little bit more of a vertical threat as far as getting you know up the field and having kind of that speed to burn and he's a former track star. And then you've got Tyree Phillips, who's a, a tackle moving to guard. He'll be probably more of like a swing tackle, swing guard. Ben Bredesen's going to be a plug-and-play right guard for them out of Michigan. Uh, he was fantastic at the Cedar Bowl as far as being consistent with his overall hand usage. So I think he's going to be a plug-and-play replacement for Marshall Yonda, who retired this past year. And then they added you know, three more guys, Roderick Washington, James Brochet, and Geno Stone. Uh, Washington and Stone will be just some depth pieces to the defense approach. will compete at receiver. And then just like I mentioned, Dallas Cowboys, for them to have CeeDee Lamb fall to their lap at the 17th overall, he was my fifth overall player. And for them to get CeeDee Lamb in that offense, where there is some uncertainty with guys like Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper who have had injury concerns, I think CeeDee Lamb is, is great assurance for Dak Prescott. And then Trevon Diggs, Neville Gallimore, Reggie Robinson, terrific defensive pieces. They needed help in their secondary. They did that with Robinson and Diggs. Diggs is a, a pretty good zone corner with great athletic ability. Robinson's kind of got that physical man coverage ability. Neville Gallimore, just a high motor, kind of kind of not not the fluid hits that you want, a little stiff in the hips, but he's, he's versatile to play in multiple roles on their defense. And then, you know, Tyler Biotish and Bradley and I that fell to them, that those are steals. Those were the two best picks in, in, in the spur day of the draft. Biotish is going to be a plug and play center for them. 41 career starts at Wisconsin, uh, a running team trophy award winner. And then you've got Bradley and I who didn't test great at the combine. He ran a 4.89, but this is a guy that's a technician. He knows how to long arm technique. He knows how to use his hands. He's got some of the best hands that any head rusher in the class. So, they, they had a great draft as well. So I would say the Cowboys and the Ravens. So obviously you said you don't really do grades for by team for the draft. But as us being Lions fans, how do you think the Lions did overall in the draft? 
I like what they did, but at the same time, I don't like what they did because maybe I'm just, you know, with almost 30 years of watching this team and falling in love with every draft and then being disappointed. But, uh, you know, getting rid of Darius Slay and replacing him with Jeff Okuda, okay, I guess we could consider that a win. But taking Okuda at three was a little rich in my opinion. I liked him more at seven, eight, or nine, just overall value on my board. And I thought for sure getting a trade down, adding an extra pick or two, and then getting Okuda win would have been great. But as far as scheme, the fits what they're looking to do. The Lions ran man coverage third or fourth post in the NFL this past year at 55 or 66%. So they like press fillers. Okuda fits that. DeAndre Swift, I like, I don't love. I, I, I felt like Jonathan Taylor, if you're looking for a running back to be your bell cow, which is what I think you need, you don't need a compliment to carry on Johnson. You need carry on Johnson to compliment a running back, and Taylor would have been that guy. But they went with DeAndre Swift. He bounces a lot of runs to the outside. He likes to go laterally before he goes vertically, and that kind of worries me at the next level. But he's got some jump cutting ability. He's got that one cut explosive accelerator after that cut that I like to see. So I think he will be eventually the lead back in this offense, especially being that we run so much zone. And I think that's a good fit for him. Uh, but at 35, it was just a little rich for me on DeAndre Swift compared to some of the backs that were available. But it is it is what it is. Uh, Julian O'Quarrum, this is a good pick, 67th overall. He could have been a late first rounder had he not had the broken leg to end the year. And he really wasn't producing at the level that he was supposed to be producing. And then he started flicking the switch, and then the injury happened. But um, I like his overall fit as far as the scheme goes. He's got long arms. He's explosive. So I think he, he will fit, and I think he'll have some production there. Jordan Jackson, I, I really like that fit. I actually wrote about it um, after the draft the next day and how he fit. I think he's certainly a player that's going to be in the mix at right guard, and he's a former uh, Rutgers transfer, and he competed there. And his first year on campus, his only year on campus at, at Ohio State, he competed right away. So I think he's, he's going to be a player that could be a potential plug-and-play. Logan Stenberg needs work from a technical perspective. He's not technically sound compared to other guards in the draft, but he's aggressive, and if you're looking for a mean player with a chip on his shoulder, he's your guy. Uh, Cephas out of Wisconsin, not going to allow you with athletic ability, but I like him out of the slop. I think he could play similar to an Anquan Bolden role that we saw a few years ago. Jason Huntley, that was a head-scratcher to me. I, I don't know much about the kid. I watched two games this, a, after the draft. I, I see the speed. I see the breakaway speed that he has. Many people think he can run in the four threes. I could see that. But, I mean, if they're trying to get like a James White type of situation where you've got your receiving back, I guess that makes sense. But, you know, Benjamin out of, out of Arizona State would have been a much better fit. He's a seventh-round pick. So, I feel like they reached there. Jonathan uh, Benchini, he's a, a depth player. at defensive back on the same with Cornell. Defensive tackle out of Ohio State. So, those are just two guys that will be rotational pieces up front. They'll learn from a guy like Danny Shelton. But they, 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 they didn't really wow me with their draft. They just really went for need. You didn't really see, I mean, Swift, I guess, really wasn't need. That was really like your special splash pick. But day three of the draft is, is really the meat and potatoes of the draft. And I just felt like they, they made some questionable picks there. I wanted to see them maybe look at a linebacker somewhere. 
maybe a guy like a Joe Bocci, maybe a Marcus Daly, they didn't roll the dice there. So I was a little bit concerned that, you know, with where that linebacker group was last year with, you know, Tavai still learning, Garrett Davis having some, having his ups and downs, I felt like maybe getting a, a rotational piece at linebacker, maybe getting a diamond in the rough would have made sense. But they just they doubled down too much in this draft at, at multiple positions, running back guard and defensive tackle. That just it, it leaves me kind of, I don't know, on the fence, I guess. So the, one of the biggest debates between Lions fans right now about the draft is that round two pick of a running back. So how did you feel about the position pick of going running back round two, especially having carry on just being a couple years into his career? I'll be honest, I was not a big fan of the carry on Johnson pick when it happened. Um, carry on to me was the eighth or ninth best player in that draft two years ago. He was my 82nd, 83rd overall player, and they moved up to get him. And when you had a guy like Darius Spice out of LSU available, it was, you know, it's just the Lions being the Lions there. So for this, this is Bob Quinn. This is what they do. They've taken five running backs now in Bob Quinn's five drafts. So they basically are good for a running back every year. Darrell Bubble, he likes to run the football. He's a run-first-minded offensive coordinator, so it makes sense from that perspective. Like I mentioned, he'll fit the zone scheme, but with the other backs that were still there, Cam Akers, Jonathan Taylor, Brian Swift is my third-rate running back, so you know, maybe I'm just being a little bit too picky, but the fact that Jonathan Taylor was there, what he was able to do in Wisconsin, I just, I just don't understand how they sit at 35. Were they interested in moving down? Could they not get a deal done? And Lions is that the Lions can't ever get the deals done to move down and acquire more assets and then make that splashy pick or that smart pick. They have to either move up to do it or they stay put. So that's really where my issues come uh, with, with their draft uh, as far as the overall position in that second round pick. But I mean, I, I, I hope Swift does well. Don't get me wrong, but I, I just I do have my concerns. Yeah, so going broader than just the Lions, so who do you think were some of the sleepers, should I say, or the most underrated players in this year's draft that you think uh, could become future stars in the league? There's a lot. There's a lot. I think Antoine Winfield Jr. out of Minnesota, he was the Tampa Bay in the second round. I felt like he was the best safety in the draft. And actually, you know, two safeties went in front, or three safeties, excuse me, went in front of him, Xavier McKinney, Kyle Duggar, and then Grant Delpit. And I felt like Winfield would be just the fourth safety overall. I think he fell into a great spot, though, in Tampa Bay. Uh, he'll be used through a lot of single high looks. He's got the range and with his ball skill and just his dad being a former NFL quarterback. He's watched a ton of NFL tape, a ton of just coaching tape in his life. So for him to be able to go in and, and, and step on the field for Tampa Bay, I think he could be a, a day one starter. Uh, and in the first round, for, for maybe people that are, are – looking for those first-round names. I think Noah Igbenogany out of Auburn. I think he's a very interesting pick. When he went to, to Miami, I think he's going to be a great fit next to, to a player like a Byron Jones. He's going to probably be in the slot. And when you've got a guy like in Detroit, Justin Coleman, I think their play styles are very similar. Uh, Igbenogany is a player that's got the physicality that teams love, very comparable to Coleman there. So I think you get... You know, pass-heavy teams, I think Iggy in the first round was not a reach by any means. I think you're going to have a, a day-one starter there just because of the, the amount of nickel packages 
teams have. But moving later into the draft, Neville, like I mentioned, Neville Gallimore, the Cowboys in the third round, I thought he was a, a top 50, top 55 player. They got him 82nd overall. I think with his versatility and just the, the motor that he has, he was a great interview down at the Senior Bowl. And I think he's very motivated to, to obviously, they're, they're all motivated to be successful, but he was definitely different. He carried himself well. And uh, I think he fell into a great spot there. Uh, Damian Lewis to Seattle. I think that's a plug and play right guard. They ended up taking him, um, I think a little bit sooner than, than most people thought. They took him 69th overall in the third round, but they moved back to do that. So they acquired more picks and they were able to take a starting right guard who is not going to get over poverty, a little undersized as far as length, but at 6'2, 323, this is a player that's just got the ability to model defenders, and they moved on from the DJ Fluker and kind of replaced him with a, a kind of a mold of a younger DJ Fluker. So I like that fit a lot. I mean, there's so many different players. I have so many players that I really like. I think I could be here for probably a solid hour talking about players, but I'll, I'll end on one more, and I'll end with the quarterback. Jacob Eason in the fourth round going to the Colts. I think Philip Rivers, obviously, Near the end here, maybe his last year, I think he fell into a great spot being able to learn from Philip Rivers. I think their play styles are similar. I think he's a great fit for that offense. And you've got guys like Jack Doyle, T.Y. Houghton. They added Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman in the second round. So they're going to have kind of a new look offense, I think, in two to three years. And Jacob Eason is going to be kind of the face of that offense at the quarterback position because he can swing the football. There was just maybe some concerns overall of where the knowledge was. And again, no, no pro days, none of that stuff. Teams didn't really get to see him on the field in their facility, see how he reacted to that coaching in live time. So uh, I think in the fourth round, he was a great pick there. So one of our last questions is, what advice do you give kids our age, you know, middle schoolers that want to become a scout and that want to become a radio, be on the radio? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say this about being a scout. It's, it's, especially if you're working with an NFL team, if that's your passion, definitely go after it. Continue to chase after that dream. Um, if, if scouting is what you want to do as far as, like I said, with an NFL team, just be prepared, though, that there's going to be a lot of days on the road. You, you better get used to eating at Waffle House. You better get used to living in, in hotels and, and sleeping in your car and those types of things. It, it can be a brutal career choice as far as being a scout but it has its perks and if you're passionate about football and you're passionate about the draft and you're passionate just about all those things then it's great as far as radio goes continue to practice asking your questions you know go back to the questions that you guys asked me or or questions that you asked um, the western field head coach continue to ask those guys those questions over and over in your head and prepare those questions until you know it like it's the back of your hand. And then just constantly read over the material that you're going to be presenting as far as in an interview or if you're, you know, if you're talking about just general sports stuff, if you're going into sports radio and you want to pay attention to NBA, MLB, and the NHL, well, pay attention and read over the statistics and all the, the information is get as much information as you can and study it like you do like you do for your homework on your your math quizzes and your you know your social studies projects and all that stuff. Practice it 
continue to practice it when you're riding your bike through the neighborhood. It might sound crazy talking to yourself, but if you're practicing your cadences and practicing how you deliver and how you work on delivering that information, like the microphones in front of you, you're only going to get better. So that was something that took me a long time. And then just like the last thing is just continuously working. Don't give up because, you know, two, three, four years ago, I almost gave up on this because I wasn't seeing the payoff. I wasn't seeing the growth in social media presence. I wasn't seeing the radio appearances. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't having FoxSports.com picking up my articles. None of that was happening. And I just kept working, I kept chipping away, and it all started paying off. So if you keep chipping away and you stay with your nose to the grind and you keep going, you know, your head down and you keep going forward, those things will pay off. I promise you they will pay off because it, it just takes time. This is a tough business to get into. Everybody thinks that they know about sports, they know about this, this, and that. And some people do, some people don't. But trying to be somebody that you're not is never what you want to do. Be who you are. Stay true and never act like you know something compared to other people. If you don't know something and you don't know it, go learn it. If you don't know a cover two defense, that's okay. Go learn it. If you don't understand what a, a, a shell across concept is, that's okay. Go learn it. If you don't understand the blocking concept of a zone, and I'm just talking for the draft here or just football, you don't know zone blocking schemes, go learn it. It's okay. And that's something that took me a long time to figure out that, hey, I don't know everything. It's okay that I don't know everything. And you spend times like this to learn those things. You read up on books, you study film, you listen to coaching clinics. So just continuously listening and absorbing, you know, our heads are like sponges, right? Absorb that information and and just continue to apply it to your daily life. So I mean, I think you guys, I've, I've listened to a couple episodes. You guys are doing a great job. Just keep working and keep working and it will pay off. Thank you for that. That's very great insight. So I think that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. But before we go, is there anything you'd like to plug in about where people can find your podcast or uh, or you and where your social media is? Yeah, you can find the Cover One NFL Draft Podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Spreaker.com, uh, really wherever you get your podcast. All you have to do is just search Cover One NFL Draft Podcast. You'll find it. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And then Obviously, find me on Twitter at Russ NFL Draft. Smash the follow button, and uh, that's where all my content is. That's where all of my random video breakdowns are. Where I'm chatting with guys like Craig Rowe in the CFL. We're breaking down defensive line stuff all the time. Or you know, I'm just breaking down clips of Devontae Adams going off against the Seattle Seahawks, whatever it might be. So find me on Twitter again at Russ NFL Draft. I really appreciate it, guys. Once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and Russell again for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And as always, we'll see you guys next time on the Last Take Sports Podcast.